0: There, do you have any idea what you're listening to? London Philharmonic? It's Venus. Huh? Venus. Why not? We've bounced signals off the moon's surface. There's no reason that Venus shouldn't radiate impulses. I don't mean the static. Can't you hear it, the other thing? What other thing? Listen to it, Paul. Listen to the voice. (laughs) Welcome to Media Geek. This is your weekly look at the world of grassroots and independent media, as well as a critical examination of our media environment. My name is Paul Reismanel, and I'm your host. On today's program, the FCC lurches all the closer to passing rules to protect the free internet. And I've got a lot of other news to catch up on, so you do want to stay tuned. So wouldn't you know what I take a week off from the program uh, last week, and uh, that's when the FCC decides to go ahead and uh, get moving on network neutrality. And this is a topic I've been covering now on a Media Geek Radio Show for a couple of years, because it's been of such great importance. And if you, if you haven't heard about it, if maybe you haven't caught the radio show before where we've talked about network neutrality is the principle... That there is non-discrimination on the internet, wherein you can send, share, and receive information freely. Provided it's legal, otherwise legal information or legal files, without any, any hindrance. And it specifically, this the idea that your internet service provider would not be able to filter what you send or receive. And that means uh, that your video data, your audio data, your email data, or any other data would pass, unhindered, all the same. And this has been a fundamental principle of the Internet since it was created. Since its very founding some 40 years ago, that the network is neutral, hence net neutrality that bits are bits, right? Everything on the internet, everything in your computer is broken down into individual packets of data. In fact, they're called packets. And data is data, right? It only becomes audio or it becomes video or email or text when you take all the packets together, you put them together and you interpret them. But otherwise, bits is bits. Data is data. And the network was always supposed to be neutral because one, it's efficient and that's very important. Um, and two, then, you don't end up with traffic jams and delays if the data is treated equally. And that is the principle upon which the Internet was founded back when it was ARPANET, back when it was primarily a, uh, a network for universities and the military and for science laboratories. And it's the one that's been obeyed almost to now. Of course, now the Internet is his big business. And there's the fear, and the fear backed up by actual examples that internet service providers may want to interfere, delay when you get video, especially if that same internet service provider is also a cable television company. And they may not want you just subscribing to the internet to watch television while not subscribing to their television service. Or if they have a deal with a music provider, they may not want you listening to internet radio. Or even if you do, they may not want you to have as much of it to listen to as much. And in fact, Comcast, nation's largest cable company, was caught interfering with its customers' data traffic back at the end of 2007 where it was interfering with users using the BitTorrent file sharing system. And some people say, of course, well, BitTorrent and our file-sharing systems are often used to uh, share copyrighted music or copyrighted movies without permission of the copyright holder. But that's not the only thing these these systems can be used for. BitTorrent is often used by legitimate artists like Nine Inch Nails or uh, Radiohead to distribute their albums for free or at very low cost in very high quality, not mp3, but uncompressed. And frankly, when you host things on the internet, when you host them on a server and people download, that costs you money. You pay for that for that bandwidth. And BitTorrent is a schema whereby those who download also share it, and it can, it can limit the costs for that and allow more people to share, especially things which are otherwise free, like free software. Um, but customers for Comcast found that they were having their BitTorrent traffic Mess with, in fact, what Comcast was doing was blocking it altogether. So you could get any data you wanted, so long as you weren't running the BitTorrent client, and that actually happened. And the FCC took action against Comcast for doing this. And the FCC, being the agency which does regulate much of the internet and internet service, is now poised to take action. And this is something which has come up in Congress for the last couple of years. Come up with the FCC every for the last couple of years. But the Republican-dominated FCC and uh, and Congress seems to have been not so interested in moving forward on it. To be fair, the uh, opposition to network neutrality is bipartisan. Um, There are Democrats who are suspicious of network neutrality uh, just as much as there are Republicans. But now we do have uh, a uh, Democratic-led FCC... Uh, With a new chairman appointed by President Obama, who has been on record saying he supports network neutrality. And in fact, um, back when President Obama was candidate Obama, uh, Julius Janikowski, the new chairman of the FCC, worked on elements of his campaign platform in support of a neutral Internet. So the FCC, on the 22nd, started a proposed rulemaking, putting out draft rules to preserve the free and open Internet. The FCC writes in a press release, recognizing that the proposed framework needs to balance potentially competing interests while helping to ensure an open, safe, and secure Internet, the draft rules would permit broadband Internet access service providers to engage in reasonable network management including but not limited to reasonable practices to reduce or mitigate the effects of network congestion. End quote. Um, One might argue network congestion happens when they haven't built out enough network. When maybe they're not providing enough service to their clients. But under the draft proposed rules subject to reasonable network management a provider broadband internet access service, would not be allowed to prevent any of its users from sending or receiving the lawful content of the user's choice over the Internet. Two, would not be allowed to prevent any of its users from running the lawful applications or using the lawful services of the user's choice. Three, would not be allowed to prevent any of its users from connecting to and using on its network the user's choice of lawful devices that do not harm the network. Four, would not be allowed to deprive any of its users of the user's entitlement to competition among network providers, application providers, service providers, and content providers. Five, would be required to treat lawful content, applications, and services in a non-discriminatory manner. And six, would be required to disclose such information Concerning network management and other practices, as is reasonably required for users in content application and service providers to enjoy protection specified in his rulemaking. What does this mean? It means that your service provider, your net service provider, should not be telling you what you can and again not do on the internet, provided it is legal. It basically breaks down to that. Now, some folks who have been uh, big protectors of the public interest, uh, advocates of network neutrality, are a little worried about the clause that... Uh, Internet service provider would be able to engage in, quote, reasonable network management. Since reasonable is a hedge word that carries otherwise no particular definition, reasonable is judged by he who's judging it. In this case, it would be the FCC deciding what constitutes legal, reasonable, or unreasonable, and the limits of reasonable or unreasonable. But actually, in effect, the rules which the FCC here is proposing for the Internet are nearly identical to the rules which exist for the phone system for plain old telephone service, which has been called common carrier rules, which used to be applied to the internet till the FCC decided that it didn't apply to the internet any longer. And these, these common carrier rules that we enjoy in the phone system is exactly that, that you can buy any phone that you like. It used to be folks who were... Uh, uh, over the age of thirty-five, may I remember when you had to get your phone from the phone company. Often, you rented it for for four or five dollars a month, which is kind of absurd when you consider you can actually buy a phone for four or five dollars now, rather than being able to go out and buy a phone at, uh, at at the store. Where you, if you got an answering machine, it had to come from the uh, from the phone company. Now, of course, you can buy an answering machine. The FCC found that the phone company could not stop you from buying whatever device you wanted to do, that you, uh, that you could call whoever you wanted to. There was a time when there were competing phone systems and you could not call somebody on another phone system. That basically you could get any long-distance provider that you wanted to, especially one with the breakup of AT&T in the 1980s. That even if your local phone company offered long-distance service, they couldn't stop you from contracting with a competing long-distance service provider. We take these ideas for granted, and in many ways we take them for granted on the Internet. The idea here is that the FCC may move to guarantee them. And to say that if you want to run BitTorrent, and it is otherwise a legal platform, a legal software to use, and in fact BitTorrent is a, is a well-regarded company otherwise, provides lots of uh, lots of applications to the media industry that a lot of people probably aren't aware of that it uses, aside from the public BitTorrent client, which, uh, which people use uh, to do file sharing on their own. Uh, BitTorrent is not illegal. It's all in what you do with it, right? That uh, your local ISP would not be able to stop that. So perhaps the, uh, your local ISP would be permitted to manage the network, which may mean uh, being able to manage the bandwidth at times, but otherwise not be able to discriminate between the type of traffic, whether it's voice, data, audio, or video. So in his proposal for rulemaking, the FCC now is asking for people to comment. This is an opportunity for members of the public, and believe me, the Internet service providers will be submitting their comments. Um... For any interested parties to submit their comments to the FCC for it to take into account before uh, sitting down and working through the comments it receives and deciding if and how it will alter these principles. And this is Media Geek, your weekly look at the world of grassroots and independent media, a critical examination of our media environment. My name is Paul Reismandel. I'm your host. Check out Media Geek online at MediaGeek.net. The radio show is at radio.mediageek.net. And the Twitter feed is twitter.com slash MediaGeek. If you have any comments about the program, you can you can tweet me back there. Or you can uh, do it the old-fashioned way via the email, paul at MediaGeek.net. Uh, in some other news, actually, the FCC, again, let's talk about the FCC, they're getting ready to start another review of media ownership rules. They're required by Congress, as of the 1996 Telecommunications Act, to do a biannual review on media ownership rules. And these are the rules which dictate uh, how many media properties a particular company can can own. And this uh, specifically regards... Uh, primarily radio and television, although also regards the co-ownership of television and newspapers. And these rules have been in effect since the 1970s, uh, intended to promote a diversity uh, of voices and also to promote competition in, in the media marketplace, specifically with regard to public affairs programming, making sure there's diversity of news programming out there, and also uh, cultural programming. Um, the last review happened uh i believe in 2008 uh at which point uh in an almost last minute move kevin martin then chairman uh launched a set of uh of changes in front of the commission with almost no notice uh trying to loosen the restrictions on the uh tv radio station uh, i'm sorry tv newspaper cross ownership rules it's known Um, it, it passed three to two at that point as Republican dominated. So three Republicans, so two Democrats, uh, very controversial. And people were also upset with Kevin Martin because the way he did it, because he kind of just launched on them last moment. Uh, that change is currently caught up in the third circuit court of appeals. It was an almost instantaneous challenge to it. Um, changes that had been suggested back or actually passed by the FCC in 2003, which were also intended to more highly deregulate uh, TV and radio station ownership, uh, were also successfully challenged in the uh, Third Circuit Court of Appeals, which struck them down uh, basically under th- by the argument that uh, the FCC hadn't done very good homework and hadn't really well defended its changes, that its research was uh, not so good. And uh, so those haven't gone anywhere. The last set of changes haven't gone anywhere. But the FCC has to get back at it. And for 2010, uh, there's going to have to be another review of their ownership rules. But what's interesting about the uh, upcoming uh, ownership review is that uh, the FCC is going to hold um, what it calls workshops. And since this is something new, actually, with the Jenekowski FCC. Is that you know uh, typically with the FCC you have some, you have hearings. And a hearing is a lot like a congressional hearing. It's when the full commission sits and people come and give testimony about a particular item. And it's typically not necessarily um, uh, they're not going to vote or no official action is going to happen. But they'll hear from experts. They may call in scholars. They may call in people from the particular industry that's involved. And they will may hear even from members of the public who come in and talk about these things. Um, with the last ownership uh, rules review, uh, the FCC was kind of pushed into having... Uh, public hearings around the country to hear what average people had to say or what local broadcasters had to say. Um, when they first had their first review in 2003, then-chairman uh, Powell, Michael Powell, um, did his best to try not to have any any public hearings and was finally pushed to have one. Under uh, chairman uh, Kevin Martin, who was uh, served with... Uh, Michael Powell, he learned his lesson and had many more of these public hearings. But the FCC is now doing something a little more informal, which they're calling workshops. Um, and in these, uh, it's still a, a coming together where they hear from expert testimony, hear from people they call in, and, and maybe even hear from the commissioners themselves, also hear from FCC staff, uh, their, their staff researchers, staff economists, uh, staff uh, engineers that they may hear from. And and But they tend to be longer, may take several days. Um, Still, the uh, what, what goes on goes into public record, but it's a little, a little less official. And it's, and I think they're intended to, be, to, to have more dialogue. It's a little less of like, oh, we'll just listen to people tell us how rotten something is or how great something is. There can be more of a back and forth, more of a question and answer. And so uh, the Media Bureau, which is uh, the bureau at the FCC, which oversees radio and television, um, is actually seeking comment on the structure of how it will run the 2010 media ownership review and um, is going to have workshops to, uh, to actually talk about how this rulemaking and review will be structured, which, which is sort of opening up the process more. But what's interesting is actually um, the commission is looking to even reconsider the, uh, the things that it, it looks at, the, the, the metrics it uses to judge Notions like consolidation and diversity, and to and to think about it in uh, in in different terms. Um, and in, and in fact, in addition to the five rules, the commission is statutorily required to consider. It's one. It's asking other other rules that the commission should uh, should address. Um, one of the questions out there is: the existing rules limit concentration with a single industry and bilateral cross ownership between two industries, radio and television. Uh, television newspapers should the radio commission and billboards radio and no not not radio and billboards the fcc does not gotten involved in that okay clear channel got into the billboard business but the fcc never uh, made any consideration of it um should the commission continue to enforce limits of these types or should it develop an alternative structure such as determining an ownership limit for all media within a relevant market so rather than saying we'll limit uh, specifically. TV and, uh, and newspaper cross ownership will it be rather uh, you can't have more than X media properties in a given market period and it could be any combination of, 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 of things that's they're going to consider that um, should the commission have bright line rules or more case-by-case case approach guided by a policy statement. And a bright line rule is really, you can have no more than two properties is a bright line rule. Uh, probably case-by-case case approach guided by a policy statement would be like, uh, you should control roughly no more than uh, 50% of a uh, media market, something a little more general. What's interesting is, is that they're throwing open a bunch of questions about diversity and localism. And these are two big concerns people have had, uh, especially about radio, but about uh, broadcast media in general since the 1996 Telecommunications Act. Uh, Concerns that uh, local radio stations really aren't local anymore, that they're mostly just playing satellite programming or uh, voice track DJs, not providing any local service um, like they once did prior to 1996, and especially that minority voices have been squeezed out. Many minority owners... uh, were more or less squeezed out and, and had to sell off to a clear channel or Cumulus uh, because the ad market was being driven, was being basically cornered by uh, these larger media companies. And so with regard to this, uh, the FCC is asking questions is what is the relationship between the commission's longstanding policy goals of competition, diversity and localism and the media ownership rules in the current media marketplace? How should we define them in that context? Are there other goals the commission should consider? If so, what are they and why are they important? But here's uh, when it comes to competition, the very first question they're asking, I think, is a really, really powerful question, and this question is: Is the competition goal best conceptualized as economic competition? Which I think is how, it, at least by uh, you know the big companies, as it's been as it's been viewed. By and large, pure it's how the, pure economic. Well, and and yeah, that's exactly how the FCC has has. Uh, has uh, viewed it but you know and and so it's interesting that they're throwing open a door on that so it's not just a simple matter of that there are sufficient players so that there's a, a, a sufficient ad diversity at you know um if you are a potential advertiser that there's enough of a market that there's competition there along those lines but that there might be some other sort of competition and, and that competition may be that there is a truly competitive uh news and journalism environment um, that there's a truly competitive environment uh, in in other ways, and I think I mean they're throwing they're asking what what would those ways be, um, even though the question is 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 framed in a way that makes you believe that they are pretty sure that they, they do need a the know, fact change, that they're changing the Well, the, the, term well, though, the fact though, that right. they're asking it, you yeah. know, and the fact that they're in asking very, in it a very shows, pa- almost passive aggressive way. Well, just the way you well you well you know it. I mean you open up the question, you want comments. I mean you know it's. Doesn't mean that they're going to do it, um, but then they say if if uh, if the competition goal should be should be conceptualized as economic competition, what approach should the FCC take to determine the relevant product and gra- geographic markets? And that's actually a big argument about how they how you judge a particular given market, uh, because uh, if you if you say just take the Chicago area, for example, um, certainly you have Chicago, but you even get out to uh, much. Further, uh, uh, further flung places, you know, say Aurora or Joliet, which are many people consider part of the Chicagoland area. But in a lot of ways, those started out as freestanding communities and had their own radio or television. You know, it's getting to the point where Rockford, which is, a, which is the uh, second largest city, I believe, in Illinois, um, because there's uh, sort of uh, lots of creeping urban sprawl between the Chicago area and the Rockford area, uh, you know, do you put do you lump that all together, or are they still considered separate markets? Um, you know, or you know whether you have twin city situations because you know, or especially getting to the East Coast, you know, what is the is there differentiation between New York, New Jersey, Philadelphia, Washington, Baltimore, Boston, you know, Connecticut? Well, I know a, f- a few of the uh, Milwaukee stations. I could even I could even receive exactly. Here here you know, is. and so if 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 that's the case, and and you know, and, and in many cases. Uh, a station which might be, uh, what is they call it, at least in rail, a rimshot signal, meaning it, it it actually its actual transmitter and signal license is pretty far on the edge of the metro area, but because it can be heard, it actually orients its programming to the larger metro area rather than to the local municipality. You know, is that something which the FCC should take into account uh, in judging in judging market and judging you know uh, ownership and, and competition and diversity? Um, and a you know, question the FCC puts out is, how should the FCC's analysis take into account recent changes in the media industry, such as the increased number of channels carried by cable and satellite operators, the transition to digital TV broadcasting, the decline of newspapers, and the increased use of the Internet for news and entertainment? And this has been the argument that, that the large media companies, uh, Tribune in particular, but also uh, Clear Channel and other and other media owners have been saying, is that, well, you know, given all the competition from the Internet, it's, you know, then... Uh, the ownership rules with regard to local media, to uh, broadcast media, don't really make as much sense because people, you know, uh, if their local broadcast media isn't diverse, well, they can go on the Internet and find lots of things or go on to satellite radio or go on to uh, yeah, go on to uh, cable television and find lots of things. But an argument that a lot of public interest advocates make is that that may be true, but actually the ability to find local news uh, and local information uh, – May actually not be. It may not actually be so diverse. In fact, you know, if you, if you live in the Chicago area and you look for local news online, a lot of times you still go to those the websites of the local TV stations. You go to the websites of the local newspapers. Well, you, you know, you go where the big bureaus. Are. You go where the big bureaus are, and you and there may not be any additional real competition. Um, as it happens in Chicago, there is a little bit. There's a town News Daily, which is a non non commercial or nonprofit. Uh, news agency, online newspaper that's come together, and, and some of these exist throughout the country. But they're, they're fairly nascent, and it's not as if there's dozens and dozens in, in any given city. And so that's definitely uh, going to be the question. And, and the FCC is also throwing open the doors when it comes to diversity. How should the FCC define the diversity goal in the modern media marketplace in a manner that is addressable by the media ownership rules? How should the commission evaluate diversity across media? In particular, in deciding which media should be considered together for purposes of evaluating diversity, should the commission apply the same subst- substitutability criteria that are used in defining product markets for competition analysis? Uh, that's, that's, a, that's a mouthful. And uh, how should the commission connect these metrics to the structure of media ownership? Should diversity and diversity of voices, and possibly diversity also, in terms of uh, in terms of things like uh, ownership, uh, minority ownership, both whether it's women or um, a- ethnic and racial minorities, should that be mixed in with the uh, with the whole idea of the overall ownership of the media? And finally, um, how should the commission define and measure the localism goal in the modern media marketplace? Uh, what metrics should the commission use to measure localism? And that, I think that, that's a really rough question, actually. Are traditional measures of localism, the extent of local news and public affairs and other local programming, such as local school sports, still relevant and useful? If so, how do we define local in this context? Is it locally produced, locally oriented, or some other way? How should the commission connect those metrics to the structure of media ownership? And I think the localism question you know, is really what undergirds a lot of people's dissatisfaction with the broadcast media, radio in particular, absolutely, but, but also television. So these workshops that are coming up will be open to the public, uh, but are not going to provide an opportunity for t- audience participation. We no. hope that the FCC is going to have, um, gonna have actual open hearings uh, where people will be able to participate. Uh, back in 2007, or was it 2008? I believe it was 2007, uh, the FCC uh, did have a public hearing in Chicago. I I lived in Urbana-Champaign and was unable to make it. But the uh, Chicago Media Action, a group here in Chicago, organized to help uh, shuttle people to the meeting oh. and to um, and to uh, be able to uh, talk, give testimony. <music> now that brings to a close another edition of Media Geek. We'll be back in one more week with more news and views on our media environment. In the meantime, check out Media Geek Online. MediaGeek.net. The radio show is at Radio.MediaGeek.net. And the Twitter feed is Twitter.com slash MediaGeek. Tweet back. Let me know what you think about the program. And periodically I put out a question of the week. I want to hear your input on the pressing matters that affect our ability to communicate. And, of course, I'll take your comments the old-fashioned way. Send them to me. Paul at MediaGeek.net.